Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen and amen. Where do we go from here? When you look at the state of the world, when you look at how culture is developing, when you look at what's going on, where do we go from here? Even when we face the darkness of our own lives, if you're like me, I'm left to think, where do we go from here? I look at how things are progressing in our world and I think, is there any going back? You know what I'm here to tell you? No. There's not going back. There's never going back. There's only going forward. And I know that a guy at my age, half of you think I'm really old and half of you think I'm really young. (laughs) But here's what I think the Lord has shown me in the time that he has given me. It will never be as good as it was, but it can be better. And that is one of the beautiful things about faith in Jesus. It's the picture of the future that he gives to us. And it's wonderful. And it's filled with hope and beauty and glory. We can look back. And this is one of the things I love about Christmas time. We can look back on what God has done. And that gives us hope for what he's going to do. As I read the pages of Scripture, and hopefully you do too, one of the things I see, one of the constant messages I see in the Bible is this, is that for those who are in faith, when all seems lost, it's not. For those who walk with Jesus, when all seems lost, the Bible's constant message is, it's not. And as we look at Christmas this year, yes, we can approach the new year with a real sober assessment about the state of things. We can be honest about the way of the world and the way it's going. We can be honest and sober about these things, but we cannot be defeated by it. Because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in something bigger. Especially at Christmas time, especially at Christmas time, we are reminded of what God has done, and that gives us hope for what God is going to do. That he's made promises that he's delivered on, therefore we can trust in the promises that we have yet to see come to fulfillment. And so at this, at, uh, at this Christmas time, at this Christmas season, here at Peace Church, we are looking into the past. We are having a vintage Christmas as we look at the old, but we see it and be made new. And that's our Christmas sermon series. We're looking at the Christmas prophecies that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. We're looking at all the times in the Bible where the Bible foretells the birth of Jesus. And we'll see that even though those prophecies have been fulfilled because Jesus has been born, even though those prophecies have been fulfilled, they still speak something new to us. And that's what we're going to immerse ourselves in today. And so we are going to be looking at the prophecy, the Christmas prophecy given to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Would you please go ahead and turn there now? If you did use, if you are using the Bibles that we've provided, that's on page 732. And what's kind of cool is that the the prophecy that we're going to look at was probably given in the year 732 BC. And that reminds us that the context is always so important when we read the Bible. I know a lot of you are, are on social media and you're hearing people quote-unquote, teach the Bible, but they rip things completely out of context and make it devoid of any of its original meaning. 
But context is so important when we approach the Bible. And so here's what I want to do. With this prophecy, I'd say in particular, always we need to know the context. But I'd say particularly in this, this prophecy, knowing the context is key. It's absolutely key. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few moments understanding what was going on in the world when this prophecy was given. We're going to spend some time immersing ourselves in the context. Anybody here like history? All right, like a quarter of you are going to be happy for the next few minutes. <laughs> Anybody else like maps? You guys like maps? All right, let me show you a map of the world, of, uh, of the biblical world at this point. Again, this is around 730 B.C. So church, gather round. Gather round and let's hear the story of the prophecy of the root of Jesse. Around 730 B.C., God's people, God's kingdom, was split into two different kingdoms. It's known as the the time of the divided kingdom. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and each kingdom had their own king. So here's the map of of the biblical world at this point. In the bottom corner there, you see the yellow box. There's where God's kingdom was. It was once united. Now it's divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, and this is important to know when you read, especially when you read the Old Testament. The northern kingdom was called Israel, also often referred to as the house of Jacob, Ephraim, or known by its capital, Samaria. And I know this is what makes the Old Testament really hard to read because there's lots of different terms for the same thing, and some of those terms overlap with other terms, and and the Old Testament's not in chronological order. I know it can be very confusing. So let's try to sort some of that out right now. The southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. Now, Judah is where Jerusalem was. And what's important about the kingdom of Judah is that the kings of the kingdom of Judah, those were the lines that eventually gave us Jesus. Jesus came from the line from the kings of the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is often referred to in scripture just as Jerusalem, its capital, also known as Zion or the daughter of Zion. And again, like, It can be confusing because sometimes these are overlapping, which is why you got to know the context all the time. But the king of Judah at this time was the king Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked and a faithless king, but he was in the line of David, which made him an ancestor to Jesus. Now, God would send prophets to the different kingdoms at different times. At this time, the southern kingdom had the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah's counterpart, which was the prophet Micah. Now, side note, the the prophet to the northern kingdom at this time was a prophet that we actually spent time looking at last year, the prophet Hosea. So Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah were all contemporaries. Hosea to the north, and then Micah and Isaiah to the south. Now, Isaiah was speaking to the kingdom of Judah. Who was the king again? King Ahaz. King Ahaz. So, on the world stage, here's what you need to know. On the world stage, the dominating superpower was Assyria. And the capital of Assyria was a place called Nineveh. And in the previous generation, that's where we get the prophets Jonah and Nahum, who who prophesied specifically to Nineveh. So the world superpower dominating everything in its path was Assyria. Okay, so here's, there's the context. Here's what was happening. So what happened was the northern kingdom, if you see it there, the northern kingdom, Israel, went into an alliance with their neighbor to the north, Syria. Now Israel and Syria were joining forces to try to make a stand against Assyria. 
But as you see, they were little kingdoms compared to the superpower. So what Israel and Syria did was that they mounted a force against Judah, the southern kingdom, to try to force them into submission to join their alliance. And when these armies approached the southern kingdom, Ahaz and the nation were absolutely terrified. And this is where we need to stop for a moment. And we need to recognize that the level of fear that this nation was facing is a level of fear that we are not, we don't have a category for. As 21st century Americans, we don't have a category for a nation having this level of fear. Like if I told you Canada and Mexico are joining forces to attack America, I know half of you good old boys would be like, bring it. That is not what Ahaz and the nation were feeling at this time. On the one hand, they had their enemies to the north mounting an alliance against them. On the other hand, they had the world superpower of Assyria dominating, eating everything in its path. We, have, we don't have a category to, to, to think about that fear on a national level. I think for the closest we can get is some of us have looked at our own lives and felt like we have no place to go, that all is lost. But nationally speaking, we don't know. It, Ahaz and Judah were looking at losing everything. Their way of life, their home, their families, maybe even their very lives, brought into a war that they most certainly were going to lose. Have you ever felt that personally in your life? That you're up against the wall and nothing will ever be the same, that all is lost? It's in this moment, with the attack coming on Judah, that God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz about what's to come. And listen to this message. God says, through Isaiah to Ahaz, he says, don't focus on the northern kingdom. Don't worry about Assyria. You focus on me. And I would say what God says to us in the midst of this is, don't fear your troubles. Fear the Lord. God says to Ahaz and he says to us, nothing is outside of his control. Don't put your trust in anything but in God. And even though Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom, he, prophets often gave words to other kingdoms. And, and Isaiah gave a word about the northern kingdom and the prophecy to the northern kingdom. And God told Isaiah that God will use Assyria to destroy the wicked and rebellious northern kingdom. God is going to use Assyria not to destroy them, but to destroy Israel. And then God will dismantle Assyria. But neither Israel, Syria, or Assyria will come against them. And then God takes this prophecy to this immediate setting, and he brings a global, local, forever promise God says, not only will I save Judah from this threat, but I will save the world. Which brings us to Christmas. When, when Isaiah gave Ahaz this promise, it also came with a sign. And the sign was this, the sign of Emmanuel, that a virgin shall conceive and give birth, and they will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the sign of this worldwide promise is that God will be with us. And this Christ child, this child, we know now it's Jesus, would bring light and salvation to the world. 
Well, history shows us that 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 promise did come to fulfillment, but Ahaz only saw part of this fulfillment. Ahaz did see that Assyria destroyed Israel in the year 722 BC. That's a historical fact. And later, Ahaz saw Assyria fall to the growing power of Babylon. But Ahaz did not see the grand fulfillment of the birth of Emmanuel, the birth of Jesus. And that brings us back to us for a moment. We may not immediately see all that there is to see, but we have experienced enough of the fulfillment of God's promises to give us reason to believe and have hope in what's to come. Church, do you believe that? I know many of us are facing very, very, very hard difficulties. And we're uncertain about the future of our world or our lives. But for those who trust in Christ, because Christmas has happened, we can trust in what's to come. So let's read part of this prophecy with that massive contextual ground laying. Let's read the story of the root of Jesse, the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And I'll remind you, this was originally given to a king who was facing complete decimation for himself and his kingdom. With that, would you hear the word of the Lord? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing mother, the nursing child shall shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal For all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is God's holy and precious word. Let's pray, and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this day. The day where we get to see people join your covenant family, where we get to see people have baptism. Lord, you are growing your church. You are so good, and you're so good to us. And Lord, we look back, and as we look back, help us to see the fulfillment of your promise that we may look forward with the hope and excitement for what you have yet to do. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. So would you help us to receive these words into our hearts? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said very loudly, amen and amen. 
So we started off by asking, where do we go from here? What's next? Where do we go from here? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a popular statement, and I want you to know if you agree with this. If you agree with this, say amen. Here it is. Those who don't know the past are doomed to repeat it. Amen. I'll tell you what, church. As we look at our lives and our faith, we do need to look to the past. That's why we're having a vintage Christmas, so that we can see the old be made new and let that frame hope for the future. Because the passage we are reading is a Christmas passage. It looks to the birth of Christ and what Christ will do and bring about in this world. Last week, we learned that Christmas is about giving, where we saw God give his son to the world that we might have salvation in his name. I know many of you know this, this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christmas is where we remember that God so loved the world. And so as we look at our passage, there's three things I want to pick up from our text today as we look at Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. We're going to see that Christmas is about giving. It's about giving the world a hope for justice, a warning of judgment, and an invitation to to joy. There's our outline today if you wanted that ahead of time. Justice, judgment, and joy. Welcome to Christmas. Welcome to Jesus. Let's get into it. First thing, Christmas is about giving the world a hope for justice. Let's keep our Bibles open this morning. Let's go back to verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, so again, Jesse Jesse is the father of King David. So the imagery here points to a descendant from the line of King David. This is a future king, a Messiah figure, who will, from this lineage, bear fruit. Now that's a biblical term. It means to produce what is good in this world. Don't we, don't we need someone producing more good in this world? Do we need this? Yes, we do. Let's continue to see what this person is like. Verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Listen to, these, listen to these descriptors. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We know this is pointing to Jesus. And what I love about this is that this person, this, this shoot of Jesse, this descendant of David, is someone that we should be looking forward to and looking to. He will be perfectly faithful, perfectly holy, perfectly wise. He will only do what is right because he only can do what is right because he knows what is right. This is the hope of justice that the world longs for, that we would have someone in charge who is perfectly righteous, who only does what is right. And we saw this prophecy literally come to life in the birth of Jesus. You know, in our, our culture, our world, our nation, cries out for justice. I want to be like, then look to Jesus. If you want justice in this world, if you want a perfectly righteous judge, then look to Jesus. This is the hope the world longs for. And that's why we point to Jesus, because he gives us a hope for justice, because he is completely just. Let's go to verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Meaning this, this prophesied Messiah, listen to me on this, he will not be swayed by popular culture. He won't do things just to get likes on social media. He will not give in to pressure from the left or the right. And both sides of the aisle 
present ungodly pressure in case you weren't aware. And it's not that he will cut through the middle, it's that he rises above. He doesn't even fall on this spectrum. He is from God's eternal plane, doing what's right in God's eyes. He shall be fully and perfectly focused on God. Being obedient to God, listen to here, will be his highest joy and his highest priority. Did you catch that? This ruler of ours, his highest priority will be to be obedient to God, and that will be his highest joy. Don't you want politicians and presidents like that? Isn't that the type of people we should have in charge? And here we have Jesus, the king of all the earth. How could we not want to submit to him? We live in a culture that's crying out for justice. And the Christian faith says, oh, justice is coming. And it's holy and it's good. And it comes from the one that we celebrate here at Christmas. But here's the thing. That coin has another side. So while we, at Christmas, we're about giving the world a hope for justice, here's what you also need to know. Christmas is also about giving a warning of judgments. Did you know, did you know that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, did you know that part of the reason he came to earth was to judge Jesus himself says in, in John chapter 5, 22, he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, speaking of himself. And so here's what we need to understand as, as a people. You can either believe that there is truly a right and wrong that results in a final judgment that proves it's right or wrong, or you can believe that right and wrong are a matter of cultural opinion and every culture gets to determine who are the good guys and the bad guys. And in our culture, if we deem someone a bad guy and they get away with it, then they forever get away with it. So you can either believe right and wrong are eternal or they're cultural. And scripture tells us that right and wrong is what's right and wrong before God's eyes, not what is cultural. And because of that, there's a judgment we will all face. Because if it's truly right and wrong, then there's truly someone to hold it to account. Now, okay, like, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, because I'm thinking it, for Pete's sake, Pastor, can you lighten up a little bit? I mean, it's Christmas time, dude. Can you just give us a little joy? Can you just stay away from the judgment stuff for a little bit here? <laughs> I tell you what, if you're thinking enough with the judgment, let's get to joy. Here's what I'm here to tell you. You best believe this ends in joy for those who believe, but you will never understand the fullness of this joy if you don't understand the justice and the judgments that is before us. When you fully understand the justice and the judgment of God, then and only then can you truly understand the joy that is available to us. We have to sit in this judgment seat for a moment so that we can understand what this joy truly is. I know people don't want to hear this, but judgment is part of the reason that Jesus came to earth. That little boy in your nativity scene, he represents so much. That little boy and that little nativity scene that you have, that is the judge of all the earth and the judge of the hearts of men. 
And this prophecy points to him. Look at what it says about him. We'll start at the second half of verse 3. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He is prepped and ready for righteousness and to make decisions based on pure righteousness. Christmas, my friends, is about giving the world a warning of judgment. That's who sits in that little manger in your nativity seat. It's the judge of all the earth who will judge our actions based on what's right or wrong, not according to our opinion, but according to his. And this has eternal significance. And so what this means is, just real quickly, if you've been hurt, if someone has hurt you and you think they got away with it, I'm here to tell you, no, they won't. All of our actions will be held to account before the righteous judge. And the other side of that coin is, The same goes for us. All of our actions, all of our words, all of our thoughts will be judged before the righteous judge because Jesus is the righteous judge who judges rightly and he judges with pure righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we will all face the Bama seat, the judgment seat of Christ. We will all one day find ourselves before the throne of the righteous judge and here's what I'm going to tell you, my friends. We will all be found guilty. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. You know you have sin in your life. I have sin in my life. We all have sinned, and we've all fallen short, and we all deserve that judgment. So we are left to think, where are we to go? Like, what's next? Where do we go from here then? What are we to do Here's what you do. You be reminded, not about what you do, but about what Christ has already done for you. And this is the gospel. Yes, we will all face judgments, but you need to understand that Jesus has already faced it for us. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 15 tells us that God placed our sin on his own son and then watched his own son be nailed to a cross. And God poured out his wrath upon that sin, our sin, but on Jesus who was taking our place. And he saw his blood fall out until he was dead. And God's wrath had been satisfied. And our sin had been dealt with and paid for. And so now, when we all face the judgment seat, because we all will, you can face it in one of two ways. You can face it covered in the blood of Jesus, meaning that you are made clean by what Christ has done for you, or you can walk towards the judgment seat bearing your own sin, and you will have to pay for it for eternity, because that is how grievous our sin is. We, our sin is eternal against an eternally holy God. Therefore, by logic, it deserves an eternal punishment. This is why Christmas is so weighty. Because Jesus came to do this for us. To remind us that we are going to be judged, but he took that judgment for us. That little baby that you, many of you have in your nativity set. Here's mine at home. My grandmother painted that set by hand. She was very talented. 
We have this in the display case, and we keep it up all year long to be reminded of her and so that we can keep Christmas alive all year long. Because what happened at Christmas isn't just a holiday. It's when heaven and earth began to move. And that little baby in that little manger, like you have and I have, number one is probably looking a little too white because this was a Jewish baby born in the Middle East. That is the judge of all the earth. That is the judge of the hearts of men. And that is the savior of the world. And so we do bow before the manger because our king has been born. So yeah, judgment is part of life. But Jesus has taken that judgment for us, which is why we can have joy and which is why we can extend an invitation of joy to the whole world. And that's the last thing we'll look at. Christmas is about giving the world an invitation to joy. When we sing joy to the world, it's because we don't have to face the judgment. That we get God and his son and we get a relationship with him and we get to experience the fullness of his love without our sin being in the way. This is why we have joy. This is why we cry out joy to the world. Because the king has been born. The savior has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Church, this is when we get to have a picture of the beautiful future. Jesus is the judge, and look at the restored world that Jesus will usher in. Look at verses 6 on down. The wolf shall, shall dwell with the lamb, and the cow, shall bear, uh, the cow and the bear shall graze together. The young children shall play with snakes and not be hurt. God says, in my holy mountain, the earth will be full of his knowledge as the waters cover the sea. See, the reason that we have justice and judges is to ensure peace. And Jesus, the judge, came to bring justice and judgment so that there could be an eternal peace of which we get to celebrate and have a foretaste of now. The day is coming when there will be no more death or pain or mourning or worry or anxiety or division. A day is coming of perfect peace between us all. And this is the hope that was born at Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because Christmas was the start of this. It's the sign of the fulfillment of God's promises, which is why we can continue to trust in his promises. This Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we do this by looking back at what God has done so that we can have hope in what God is going to do. And the joy we have is only found in Jesus, the one who brought justice, took our judgment, and now we can have his joy. Let's close up with verse 10. In that day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the people, for all people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let me ask you, what's your resting place? I don't mean, I don't mean your final resting place, as in your grave. We're not talking about that. What's your resting place? That place and that space that you find yourself when everything is done. When you've accomplished all that you needed to accomplish and you get to just have rest. I know some of you are thinking, my work is never done. In a sense, that's true. But also, in an immediate sense, you better be taking rest because that's what it means to be faithful to God. But think about that space and that time and that place when everything you mean to accomplish has been accomplished. What would that place be like? Jesus, his resting place 
It's the seat he will take when all things are accomplished. And that place is with us. And that place is glorious. Because this is Emmanuel, God with us. The glorious future we are longing for is when God and people are together again forever. So whether like Ahaz, you are facing yourself and your nation being invaded from all sides, or like American citizens where you are uncertain about the direction of the world, for those who are in Christ, we can have joy, an eternal, worldwide, personal joy. And this is why we cry out joy to the world. So where do we go from here? We go towards the manger. We go towards the cross. We go towards the empty grave. We go towards Jesus. That's where we go. And when we do, we'll realize that Christmas is forgiving. It's forgiving the world, a hope for justice, a warning of judgment, and an invitation to joy. So I invite you now to prepare your hearts because we're going to sing joy to the world together. Would you stand up? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we come before you so thankful for the promises that you have fulfilled. It gives us hope for the promises you have yet to fulfill. So Father, I pray. Lord, I pray that the people in this room, in the chapel, in the venue, Father, I'll pray they'll shake off the tiredness for listening to a pastor preach. And Lord, they would assume the joy of the Lord as they cry out with their one voice together, joy to the world, because we don't have to face judgment. We get to have joy in the Lord, a joy for the world. So Father, I pray that here and now, this Christmas season, that we'd raise our voices together, that we'd make the gates of hell tremble as we sing about what our Savior has done for us, as we sing out joy to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen.